You know, our goal as a church is not just to gather people to worship and, and to kind of get through week to week and hopefully people survive and spiritually, like, they're fed in some way. That's never been our hope. Our hope would be that, that the life that Jesus had emulated in the Gospels, that we would live it here on earth. And one of the things that we had talked about is that after Easter, it's, it's very much like after the Super Bowl, right? Your whole season, you're a Redskins fan or a Jets fan. Yeah. Giants. Any Giants fans? Giants. But your whole life revolves around 16 weeks. 20 if you're lucky. 22 if you're really fortunate. And if not if you're a Jets fan. Stop that. <laughs> but in that, our whole life is wrapped up in watching and cheering our team. I mean, think about it. Do you worship like you cheer for the Giants? Do you worship like you cheer for the Redskins? I try to worship like I cheer for the Jets, and that's really hard. So in that, what happens the day after Super Bowl? Life goes back to what we called normal. But the real question is, is is that the way that God has called us? And if we want to be fair to ourselves, we look at the Scriptures And we realize that in our humanity, we are no different than the disciples. We are actually no different than the disciples because, uh, think about it this way. If you were following Jesus and you saw all these miracles, all these signs and wonders, you saw multiple people come back from the dead, what would happen when you found out Jesus had risen back to life? The movement would have started. It would have taken off. You would have ran to your friends and your neighbors who all thought that you were crazy for selling everything, giving up everything, and following this guy. But do you know what the disciples did? They did the very same thing that we do. That after these high peak moments of of celebrating Christmas or Easter or, or these moments when we gather and we're like, hey, let's get all of our friends to go to church. Hey, I really want to tell someone the Christmas story. But 24 hours later, it's like it never happened. And that's true for all of us. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to come against that. I want us to deal with, with the attitude of apathy, and not the way that Rob confronts it, but how did Jesus confront it with his disciples? So turn with me to John chapter 21. It's on page 652, if you have a seat Bible. 652. And I want to just pray before we read. Jesus, I praise you. And God, I know that In my journey, you have had to deal with moments of apathy in me. And so, this morning, I pray that you would deal with just the spirit of apathy. That human nature that after a, a major event that we would just shut down and forget about all that had taken place. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So begin to read with me in verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Okay? This is how it all took place. 
Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter had said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they all went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, has this happened before to the disciples? Yes, on multiple occasions. In their profession, they were failing. You ever have that moment in work where nothing is taking place? Nothing is happening, especially if you are on commission. If you are a salesperson, you are very much like a modern-day fisherman. And so this is what happened. They weren't going fishing to go fly fishing and throw out some hooks and just kind of have some conversation and, and just be together. They went out fishing because this was their livelihood. They went back to life as normal. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? Kind of, giving it to them. Hey guys, how's the fishing going? It's going good? Then he said, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stood with the boat and pulled in the loaded net to the shore. For there were, for there were only about a hundred yards from shore. Then they got there. They found breakfast for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. You see, when we read a passage like this, we think that this is the first encounter that Jesus had with the disciples. It was the first time that he approached them, but actually a week had passed and Jesus had been with the disciples on multiple occasions. He's already seen Peter. Oftentimes we read a passage like this and we think this was the first occurrence with Peter. He's seen all of them already except for Judas because Judas had passed away. He had taken his own life. And in this, they had known that Jesus was risen, but they had went back to life as normal. Now imagine being Jesus. Here you are, you invested three and a half years of pouring into them, telling them step by step what was going to happen. And not only what was going to happen, but what they were supposed to do next. And what did they do? They fell into our human attitude of apathy, of fear, 
of just allowing the the care and, and even the buzz of our everyday to blind us from the things that God has in store. They're no different than us. And oftentimes we, we're so hard on ourselves or, or we put a certain, certain, certain pressure on the disciples like, Thomas, how did you doubt? How did you doubt? How do we doubt when we have so much evidence? But in their humanness, they allowed apathy to overtake them. And so Jesus, just like he had done before, he showed up on the beach and he called out to them he said here we go again let me do one more for him hey guys how's fishing going who's that knucklehead on the beach I ought to go out there and it's not going too well sir try this throw the nets over to the other side and you wonder how many of them got it I think we've heard this before. I think, I think we've been in this situation in the past. All right, we've done it before and it worked. We're throwing the nets over, but there's no Jesus. And all of a sudden, the fish, not minnows, but salmon, start filling the nets. Look how specific the writer of the gospel is. 153 large fish. Seven guys divided by 153 means a really good, profitable day. And right away, John knew who it was. I know who that is. It's our Lord. You see how the name changed? It went from Jesus, Jesus my acquaintance, Jesus my leader, Jesus my friend, to Jesus my Lord. It's Him. It's the One. It's the One who was risen from the grave. He's right there on the beach. And Peter puts his tunic on and wraps himself in his clothes. I don't know why he was fishing naked. I don't get that. Maybe it's a guy thing. Maybe it's a guy thing. I've gone camping, but I haven't seen too many naked fishermen. But he put his clothes back on. Maybe it's like an ancient thing going on. Puts his clothes on. And he swims to the beach. That's a horrible imagery, isn't that? That's killed everyone. And he swims to the beach. And Jesus greets him. He says, come on. Let's go eat. I'm going to make you the greatest breakfast in the world. Fish and chips. They sit down. And they throw some fish on the fire and they put some, you know, some nice butter on the bread and some garlic. Some good bread. They sit down and they eat. And as they're eating and as they are enjoying one another, there's conversation going on and saying, you did it again, Jesus. You did it again. You think about the excitement and the guilt all wrapped up in that moment, right? I mean, think about it. If you were a disciple and you were one of his followers, 
you probably had this excitement like, he did it again. Now we get to take the rest of the week off. We got all of our profit. But this awe of, man, he did it again. And yet so did I. So did I. And we don't know the conversations. We don't know the jokes. We don't know the story. We don't know the intimacy of of much of the conversation that took place. But the author of the Gospel was sure to point out one part of the conversation. Continue with me in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus had asked Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. And Jesus said, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And listen to the emotion of Peter. Peter, was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know what? Everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You see, there's a lot going on in this little snapshot. Jesus asked the same question three different times. And what was that question? Do you love me? And he began by saying, do you love me more than these? And what did he mean by more than these? Because we can speculate many different things just like many theologians have speculated. And there's really three fair speculations. Do you love me more than these men around the campfire more than they love me? Peter, do you love me more than they love me? Peter, do you love me more than you love these men? Is your love for me deeper, solid, more strong, more committed than you are to the relationships that are sitting across the campfire? Or some would even say, do you love me more than all of this? These meaning your livelihood, your vocation, the things that that give you your identity. And we ask that question, we're saying, you know, why would Jesus even begin with, with this question, do you, do you love me more than these? 
More than the men love me. More than you love the men. Or more than you love all of this. Because we know this guy Peter, right? We know this guy Peter that that when everyone left early on in the Gospel of John, and Jesus was there left alone with some of His disciples, and, and He said to Peter, He said, why are you here? And Peter says, where am I going to go? Where else can I go? You are my all my affection. But we also know this, this other side of Peter that, that when that was a really difficult first moment of crisis in his relationship with Jesus that, that he stuck with them. After Jesus gave this whole bizarre story of eating his flesh and his drinking his blood, Peter's like, I'm in. But then all of a sudden, the rubber got a little bit tougher. The road got a little bit not as smooth and, and things got a little bit more complicated and Jesus was going to be put to, the, to death and put on the cross. And right before his, the cross, He said, even if all fall away on account of you, Peter said, I will not. And so you see these two different examples just of, of Peter where, where he actually had given up everything in his life, but there came a point that Peter messed up. Peter had found more value in himself than, than in Jesus, and he, and he choked, and he, and he fell apart. Can someone get that? <laughs> to say, you want me to answer it? Hello, this is Jesus. That was great. Right? Like the climax of the sermon. That's okay though. I love that man. Good job. Where was I? But in this, he is confronted. And oftentimes when we think about a passage like this, we we think about Jesus kind of getting in his grill. Stand up, Joshy. He's like, Jesus, do you love me? What's up? Want to fight? It just kind of, that make you feel uncomfortable? All right. But we think about that. We think about him getting in his face like, dude, do you love me? Yes. Thanks. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus was asking him the most intimate question in all of humanity. Do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you filio me? And if you study the Greek in this passage, Jesus even changes up the words that He uses as He's saying, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, of course I do. But by the third time, Peter is what? What does it say? He's hurt. He's upset. Why do you keep asking me the same question when you know everything. And for Peter in his head, he's probably thinking like, does he not trust me? Is he questioning my devotion? Is this kind of like payback, you know, three times, I denied him three times. Jesus is being a real jerk. Like three times, yeah, I love you, I love you, I love you. Are you satisfied? No. 
This setting in the Gospels, when you look at the end of the Gospels, is one of the most intimate accounts of all of those with the disciples. Because when we come to it, the one question that we don't like to ask is, do I really love Jesus? Right? Does my life mirror reflect this love that, that He did on the cross? Does this love really reflect this, this risen life that when Jesus said you're going to do greater things than I, you're doing, and, and, and we, we kind of want Jesus to ask these questions. I, I put some up for you. First, Simon, have you made a credible profession of faith? Ha ha, ha ha. Yes, Lord. I've stood in front of the plants and I professed my faith. I mean, think about what Peter had done. How many times, like, Jesus, I professed your faith for, faith for three years straight. I was the one who had your back. I professed before anyone else, Jesus, that you were the living God. The next question. Simon, do you hold an important office in the church? Why, yes, Lord, I am the rock. I'm the one who's putting this church together. Isn't that how some of us want to identify ourselves at, by, this, by this place of authority or position like like that's what's going to rescue us from eternity. And then there's a third one. Simon, have you had any extraordinary supernatural experiences? Why, yes, Jesus. I delivered someone with demons. I've even healed the sick. I've done some miraculous acts all in your name. And in our humanness, this is our tendency. Is that we take how the world defines identity and we try to put it on God. We try to equate this, this whole idea of, of human love and you equate it to this love God that you can't even comprehend the two. You can't comprehend them because in our mind we're thinking, I've done it. I help out with coffee once a month. I try to come to church three times a month. You know, three out of five means I'm a really good Christian. Like, every once in a while, like this MC thing, I'm almost there. Like, these are things that, that we really almost kind of try to appease God. Like, we live in this, this, this world that, that God needs to be appeased. And I've done it. I've done it. When I was in college, I played college football. I went to public high schools and shared my Jesus story. I was chaplain of the football team. I did all these crazy things in the name of Jesus. But the only question he asked Peter was what? Do you love me? You see, when we think about love, we think that, that love is a noun. Jesus is love. God is love. God is the creator 
of love. He's the creator of love. He is the creator of compassion and justice and mercy. But love is actually an active word. It's a verb. To run, to walk, to stand. It's an occurrence. It's an action word. And and Jesus is saying to Peter, do you love me? And oftentimes we have, we have in our Western mind that, that love begins here. Love begins here. And love goes through our arms. And oftentimes the last place that love is supposed to end is in our head. But we have that all upside down. We say, I love him in my mind. I hate my enemies, but I'm going to love him. I'm going to love him. I'm never going to call him in my life. I'm going to pass him by, but I love him. Love is an action. And Jesus was saying, do you love me? And what Jesus was actually doing for Peter was he was reinstating him into a relationship that Peter had thought was severed forever. Do you know that? Peter thought that he would never be reinstated into Jesus' relationship ever again. And Jesus is saying, I love you. And I'm going to chase you down. And I'm going to do the same things that I've done in your life before so that you know how much I love you. But here's my question. Do you love me? Because if you love me, then you need to manifest my love to the world. The sheep are the people of Israel. Those who believed in Jesus and those who did not believe in Jesus yet. And Jesus was saying, take care of the lambs, take care of the sheep, and feed them all. You see, that's where the church is. Jesus was saying, go out and manifest my love with the disciples in such a way that I have revealed my love to you. I think about this with with marriage. And I think about this moment when, come here, honey, bunny. Come here. Not you, Josh. You stay there. I remember, stand up here. She has no idea I'm going to do this. But I'm not going to sing Elvis like I did when we got married. Okay? I remember. Give me a moment. I remember when I told her, I said to her, I will never tell you I love you until I'm ready to give you my life. And she hated it. She hated it. She used to yell at me, why won't you tell me you love me? I'm like, just relax, I'll tell you one day. So that day came. I said, do you love me? Kind of cute. And I said, follow me. Follow me wherever I'll go. You may not like where we go, but do you love me? Because I love you and I will do anything. I will lay down my life for you. I will give you everything to make you happy. But will you come with me? You see, that was the love that Jesus was asking his disciples. 
He wasn't asking for it. Hey, just tell me you love me and then don't trust me in anything I do. Do you know that relationship between Christ and the church is the same relationship between a husband and a wife? A wife? A wife. It's the same relationship between a husband and a wife. That's the example that Jesus uses in the, in the church, in the epistles, that, that husbands, you lay down your life for your wife. And wives, come under their leadership and trust them. And that's what Jesus is saying is, I've proven my love. I've given you everything. Check out the rock. I've given you it all. Will you now come with me? We go to Russia. We go to Oregon. We go to Vermont. Go to Vermont. Or will you stay in New Jersey? How does she reveal her love for me? By going. Not that I control her or manipulate her or throw her under the bus but that I love her so much that as she journeys with me, that I constantly lay down my life for her. And men, you have a harder role than women do. That means giving up all for the sake of the one who you're willing to give everything to. You may be seated. Job. <laughs> she had no idea that I was going to do that. But that's the only picture of this love that I can imagine. And my love is so much different than Jesus' love because my love is broken and tainted and I'm going to mess up and I'm going to make wrong turns and I'm going to go down wrong paths. But the beauty is, is that there is faith, hope, and love. And what's the greatest of all three? Love. You see, when Jesus was calling Peter out, he was not calling him out to show him up or make him feel lesser. He was inviting him into a whole new place of intimacy. Pete, I love you, man. Let's conquer this world together. Let's rock this world. Let's make crazy changes all the time and bring real life into effect. And here's my challenge this morning. And yes, I am fired up and I am jacked up. Because that's what I know Jesus is inviting all of us to. Do you love me? Then live like every day is Easter. Do you love me? Then go love the lost. And those who know me the same. Do you love me? And whether you want to hear this or not, this is what he would say. Then go be the church. Together. Go be the church. You know what I love about my relationship with my wife? Get on my hand. I can't do life better. I can't without her. And I can't mirror Jesus better to the local world around us without you. And we can't do this together. And you know what happens? We start rubbing off on one another and we start rubbing off on the community. To the point that on Easter Sunday, I get a text message from the mayor that says, 
Thank you. I realize we all have baggage. And I know we all have religious baggage. I know that there are things about church and things about Jesus and things about things that the world has tainted us. Here's my challenge to us today. Let's change all that. Let's put all that aside and let's learn together to fall in love with Jesus. Forget the profession of faiths. Forget the positions. And forget what what He will do through you if we just fall in love with Him. Life is going to be amazing. And so here's my invitation at the Lord's Supper. Do you love Jesus? And if you don't, today he's saying, do you want to fall in love with me? Do you want to fall in love with me? I'm going to pray and we're going to come to the Lord's table. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever love you. Thank you that you love me more than I could ever love any other human being. But I thank you this morning that you are inviting us to fall in love with you and to go. In Jesus' name, amen.